You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as part of what I'm going to do here now, I'm going to bring you something from God's word, but I didn't want to leave it unsaid that myself and my wife, Ingalil, over here, if you haven't met her, you should. Uh, We love you. We're here to minister to you. And so, you know, just if you need something, I don't have all the answers, but I can pray with you and talk with you. And anyway, we just love you and we're grateful, grateful for what God is doing. We feel that there is such a genuine and powerful community among those who serve God together. There really is. It's a little hard to describe because we do not think of ourselves as being on some higher plane or superior. It's not that at all. But there is a unique camaraderie around those who are serving the Lord. And especially those who are giving it their all to serving the Lord. Ingalil and I were talking, I don't know, a couple months ago, wasn't it? About how, you know, most the people we know uh, in a closer friendship kind of way, and the people we like to hang out with the most, we don't get to hang out with them much because we're all busy serving the Lord. And it's kind of like, well, but then that's why we connect with them so much is because we are. And there's just kind of this strange thing that goes on about it, but it's precious to us. I hope it's precious to you. All right, I'm going to do a little bit different kind of teaching because I am going to trust in this teaching uh, your obvious biblical literacy. So I'm not going to walk through a passage, but I'm just going to refer to many different passages here and just trust that you track along and know what we're talking about because I don't think I'm going to be out there in any strange way. Um, But I want to talk to you about the many pulpits that Jesus spoke from. Now, here we are right here, Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara. This church has been here for uh, over 20 years in this facility. Tim, you were there, you and Laura, you guys were here at the very beginning. I mean, I remember some of that. And here's this facility coming in here, all the rest of it. And uh, to me, having served here as a senior pastor and then still being part of the team that helps Tommy and ministers his congregation. This is a very uh, precious place to me. It's the same way for you at your churches, isn't it? Lance, you know what I talk about. There's something, and even though you've moved into a new sanctuary, probably very quickly, that, that place behind the pulpit, it just becomes special to you. You, you can't step behind it and look out over the room, even if the room's empty. Now, it's even better if there's people in the room. <laughs> but you just kind of go, yeah, this, I, I belong here. This is my calling. There's something wonderful about this place. And it's true. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. 
And if I get to preach something in the house of the Lord, I'm also glad. I come to receive and I'm blessed to receive. But, but it's also a blessing to give and, and to stand at a familiar place and bring God's word. Now, I think of what it was like in the ministry of Jesus. Let, let's make something very clear at the beginning here. There was a very fundamental difference between the ministry that most of you do and the ministry of Jesus. In that, Jesus was an itinerant preacher. Jesus did not stay in one city or one village, such as Capernaum, which kind of became his home after he started his ministry. He, he did not just stay in Capernaum and preach week after week at the synagogue. He was an itinerant preacher. But even with that, think of how Jesus held many different pulpits and how there's something for us to learn from that. Now, make no mistake about it, Jesus did preach in synagogues. He did preach in what we would call today churches. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. So he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. I like emphasizing that in the verse. Jesus was a church-going man. And he stood up to read and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And then that great passage from the book of Luke. Jesus knew what it was like to preach in a synagogue. And, and you, you can take some comfort. Jesus knew what it was like to stand up in a house where the people of God would gather weekly and bring forth God's word. There's, there's a, a real correlation there. But the teaching and preaching ministry of Jesus was by no means confined to that. For example... Jesus also preached at the temple. Now, when we say the temple, we understand we're not talking about the temple building. Jesus didn't go into the holy place where you had, you know, the altar of incense and the uh, golden lampstand and that. He didn't preach in there. That was just for the priest. The priest according to the uh, uh, order of Aaron. It would have been interesting if Jesus would have barged in there and said, well, I'm a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, but he never did that. He went to a better temple, a heavenly temple, and offered that sacrifice there. But that's off to the side. The temple was a title given not only to the temple building proper, but to the whole courts, the whole compound, if you will, the temple. Jesus went to the temple courts, and many times he taught there. Luke chapter 19. And he was teaching daily in the temple. But the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything for all the people were very attentive to hear him. So there's Jesus sitting somewhere, probably at some section of the temple courts, um, dozens, if not hundreds of people straining to hear what he said. Jesus said, I don't need to only preach at the synagogue. I'll preach and teach at the temple. Then Jesus would also preach in a house, would he not? You know this from the Gospel of Mark and Luke. It's also recorded there where it says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together, so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. 
Jesus didn't say, whoa, let's all take it over to the synagogue. He said, we'll do it in the house. Yes, I'll preach in the synagogue. But there's opportunity at the temple. There's opportunity in this house. Jesus would preach outdoors. You know, the most famous recorded sermon of Jesus was the Sermon on the Mount. And there he preached that sermon most almost certainly on this slope, this hill, this mountain that goes up from the Sea of Galilee and overlooks the Sea of Galilee there on the north side. And there outdoors, he taught this tremendous sermon where it says he went up on a mountain and when he was seated, the disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, there's another pulpit, another venue where Jesus taught the word. Jesus preached on the road. Luke chapter 24. Now, of course, this is after his resurrection. You know, on the road to Emmaus. What does it say? It says, and beginning at Moses. I'm reading to you Luke chapter 24, verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Again, she said, I don't have to teach in the synagogue or a house. I'm on the road. I can do it here. Jesus preached on the Mount of Olives, overlooking Jerusalem, telling his disciples what would come on that day. Jesus preached sitting at a well in hostile territory, Samaria, for an audience of one person, a woman who came at the well. Jesus preached at pagan temple sites. You know, that's what Caesarea Philippi is, isn't it? That, that was a Gentile city, a Gentile community. And there, right, right near where there's a great pagan temple, and it was, a, it, it was a establishment of Gentile power and strength. It says there, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? And he taught them. So Jesus is Teaching ministry was done in so many different places, in so many different venues, and such a great approach. I'll give you what is perhaps one of my favorites. It's when Jesus preached from a boat. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. It says, and again, he began to preach by the sea. So there's Jesus first teaching at the beach. It's a beach Bible study. But then the, the senses, the text doesn't tell us this exactly, but we kind of surmise that the crowd was so big and so pressing upon him. And he began to teach by the sea and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. You get this idea is Jesus is there standing on the beach teaching this Bible study and, and the crowd just gets bigger and bigger and starts pushing him into the water. So he climbs into a boat. Doesn't that say in another gospel that it was Peter's boat? or something? I'm not sure. He climbs into a boat. And there, that was a marvelous pulpit for Jesus right there, wasn't it? Preaching from a boat. Now, when I think of all of these, but let's especially hone in on this last example of Jesus preaching in a boat. It was necessity that made Jesus do this. It wasn't some calculated thing. Jesus wasn't saying, I'm going to preach from the top of the roof just to draw a crowd. He wasn't doing it for the sake of novelty. He was, he was doing it 
simply out of necessity and out of seizing an opportunity. Why did Jesus preach a sermon on the road to Emmaus? Emmaus because the opportunity was there. Why did Jesus preach a sermon at this place or that place? Why did he climb into a boat? Because of necessity, because of opportunity, and I'll make one, because of advantage. Jesus said, I can more effectively communicate to this crowd. If I get in a boat, go a few yards offshore, and my voice can project to them better. Now, when Jesus taught from a boat, I think of what some people might say to it. They say, well, you can't do that. You, you should only preach in a synagogue or in some appropriate place. And it would be easy for people to come up with objections. You know, there you're down by the seashore. Yeah, but it's going to be a distraction to your people if there's any stirring on the water. It's kind of damp out there by the seashore. That'll make people sick. There might be mosquitoes down there by the water. Watch out. But you know, Jesus just said, this suits my purposes well enough. Even if I don't make this a regular practice, it's effective for today. I'll even make one other point of application. You could say that Jesus preached a seven-point sermon from the cross. Now, I know we don't think of the cross being a place of teaching. But did not Jesus teach us some profound things from his seven sayings on the cross? Jesus took opportunity where he could find it and he used it for great effect for the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus did not say this. I can preach on a hillside so shut down the synagogues. He didn't say that at all. He was free to preach in the synagogues. He was free to preach wherever ever there was opportunity and advantage to do so. And I would consider this, that if there was anyone who had the power to control all things and to do just what he wanted to do when it came to teaching and preaching, it would be Jesus. But Jesus adapted to the circumstances and did the most that he could do to take advantage in the present circumstances. Now, how does this apply to us? It's an understatement to say that this has been a strange year. But you, you pastors, you servants of the Lord, you, you wives of pastors who have to live with what your pastor or husband has to go through and do with and all this. You, you know that this year has stretched you and probably exhausted you like few others. What an exhausting year. Can I make a guilty uh, confession here? Uh, three and a half years ago, I handed off the leadership of this congregation to Pastor Tommy. And Pastor Tommy and his wife, Debbie, have obviously done such a wonderful job. Uh, this year in particular was a year that 
from time to time, I would feel especially happy that I did that three and a half years ago. <laughs> and it has made me think of you and pray for you and, and just with great sympathy. I see you guys are going through a lot. And honestly, it was made me think, I don't know if I would know what to do in all the challenges you face. I'm sure there's many times you don't know what to do. But now, this many months into it, you would say this. You would say that God has added to your ministry toolkit in some significant ways this year. Has he not? If you didn't have much of an online or video ministry, you got one now? <laughs> now, some of you guys had it before, and, and it was an easier transition. Some of you are like, baby, get out the iPhone. We got to do a sermon this next Sunday. And, and you're like, you're starting from zero. And it's like, how do we do this? How do we work this? And you've learned. You, you've probably had some hilarious flub-ups. You, you, that, but you're learning. You're doing it. That is added to your toolkit. And you did in some sense, you did what Jesus, you adapted to the moment. We're going to do this. We're going to do it the best we can. We'll just get right into it. God will teach us along the way. And that's what you did. And now that ability, that reach, it remains with you no matter what happens in the next year. That's not the only place you've added things. You, you have, in this year, had a complete reset when it comes to judging ministry by the numbers. Now look, we, we just have a tendency to do this. We, we have this tendency. It's not good. I mean, we're not proud of it, but it's just kind of in there. We, we try to tamp it down, but it's still in there within us a little bit. We're, we judge things by numbers. Bigger numbers, it must be more pleasing to God. It must be better. Smaller numbers, well, it can be okay, but it's not, you know, we just judge things that way. Has not this whole thing put a complete reset on the way that we measure things by numbers? It's like, well... I'm preaching to only two people, but everybody's only preaching to two people. Everybody else is out there in internet land. And, you know, I may see a number of viewers, but I, I don't know, whatever. It's, they're just out there somewhere. It's a reset. Now, isn't there some powerful good that God can work in us by putting a reset on our way of emphasizing and measuring numbers, connecting that to success and, and worthiness in ministry. That is a, a helpful reset. We've had new ways to connect with and contact our people. You're you're uh, texting people in the congregation like never before this year. You're connecting with them through other social media platforms. You're going back and forth. You're, you're figuring out, well, let, let, let's connect with them through a live chat 
on uh, the video feed that we're doing, or let's work in that. You are working to connect with people in new ways, using new things. That's good. You keep that ability now going into the future. You've seen unexpected people who find their way into what you're doing. It's like, how did I get these viewers from Bolivia to my church service? I don't know, but they're there. They are. I could see. You get unexpected people that are now you're able to minister to. At the same time, you've probably seen some expected people just not be around anymore. You have developed a greater skill in dealing with people of different opinions and perspectives in your congregation. I hope you're growing in that skill. Because if you're not, you're probably just like, I don't know how many times you've written your resignation letter if you haven't developed that skill at all. And of course, this, this is part of the challenge you face in ministry that, that my heart especially goes out to you for. We all know what it's like to have divided opinions in your congregation. Where it seems like, um, you know, half your congregation is, is uh, there for you and just saying, okay, pastor, uh, we love what you're doing. We love the approach you've taken. And another half says, well, you, you should be doing something different. Or uh, uh, there, there's half your congregation that says, yes, uh, you, you, you should be doing more. You know, you should go on this way. And the other say, no, 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 you should be way more cautious. Very difficult to deal with. But really, isn't this just an exaggeration of what we deal with all the time. And God's giving you, building in you the skill, skill to deal with this better in the future. You are developing the ability to trust God for financial provision like never before. Never before. And I'll say this. You have a renewed confidence that the church belongs to Jesus Christ. It doesn't belong to you. And it goes without saying, but maybe that's especially why I should say it. It doesn't belong to the governor or doesn't belong to the county supervisors or anybody else. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. And that has been you know, just implanted and taken root in your soul like never, ever before. Now, all of those things are valuable, precious. Some of these things are for a season. Some of those things I just listed to you, you're going to continue on in the future. But in all of this, this is one you know, God is using this time to make you better pastors, better servants, better followers of Jesus. God is working all things together for good in your life and in your ministry through this time. Now, it's not what any of us would have chosen. 
but we see how God can use it in an amazing way. Now, it's a fact that Jesus used strange pulpits, strange occasions, strange circumstances all in the course of his ministry. But what Jesus especially used was strange people. And that's us, isn't it? He's using people like us. As weak and as confused and as discouraged and as tired as we sometimes are. As much as anything, that's one great reason. Again, thank you to Tommy and Brett and the whole team that organizes. Because we wanted it genuinely to be a refresh for you. Just, Just something to give you a little bit of rest and peace in a very exhausting season. I want to finish with this thought. It's sort of a common saying. uh, Wasn't it some like philosopher, Lance? You probably know who said this. Uh, That which does not kill me makes me stronger. Who said that, Lance? Somebody. Somebody. Somebody said it. And then I just said it right now. Maybe I can be that somebody. (laughs) That which does not kill me makes me stronger. You know, in the Christian life, And in Christian ministry, I don't think that's true. How about this? A better, more true way to say it. That which kills me. That which makes me die to self. Makes me stronger in the Lord. And maybe the greatest gift in all this coronavirus season is death to self. Dying to our plans, our popularity, our fear of man, our desire to play it safe. If God can lead us to those things through this time, you know what? Year 2020 could be the best year ever for what God's doing. So Father in heaven, this is our prayer. We don't want a single aspect of this difficult season to be wasted. (laughs) We want it all to have a beautiful, redemptive, powerful purpose. And to make us... Better disciples, better followers of Jesus Christ, better husbands, better wives, better parents. And Lord, along the way, better pastors and servants of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We love you for this, Lord, and we're grateful. And we just, again, receive the refreshing that you have to give to us these days in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor David Guzik. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor David's teaching ministry by visiting EnduringWord.com.